and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Marketing's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My name is Rebecca Kalajaris. I am the Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and more importantly to you, the host of today's event. Before we get started, a couple of housekeeping items. First, a recording of this webinar and a copy of the slides will be available after today's event. You'll be able to access them at pragmaticmarketing.com slash live starting tomorrow, and we'll also send out an email with a link to that recording as well. Second, questions. We love questions. If you look to the right of your screen, you'll see a Q&A box. Feel free to enter any and all questions, and we'll get through as many as possible at the end of today's event. Now, many of you are already familiar with pragmatic marketing, but for those of you who are not, Welcome to the family. Pragmatic Marketing specializes in training companies and product teams on how to be truly market-driven. We provide techniques for listening to the market and gathering market facts, and then using those facts to shape strategies and drive execution. And we've been doing this and doing it quite successfully for nearly 25 years. Now, I'm particularly excited today as today's webinar represents the first in our brand new implementation webinar series designed to help alumni implement what they've learned from pragmatic marketing. And what better topic to start with than one that is central and crucial to everything we teach, the market visits. And helping us tackle this topic is Scott Olson, founding partner of Compete to Win and a longtime product professional and pragmatic practitioner. Welcome, Scott. Thank you very much, Rebecca. All right, Scott, I know we've got lots of good stuff to cover. You've got lots of good hip, hints, tips, and you've even got some templates that are going to help our listeners. So let's just jump right in. Okay, fantastic. So thanks so much for that inter introduction, Rebecca. I'm uh, extremely excited to be here. Um, as Rebecca mentioned, I'm a, I'm a longtime product practitioner, both leading product teams at technology companies as well as with Compete to Win. Um, where we execute a significant amount of win-loss analysis and market research where those market visits are just central and core to everything that we do. And so for today, what we're going to cover in this webinar is we're going to go through um, the importance of those market visits. We're going to discuss, you know, kick things off with the Nahito principle, um, talk a little bit about the audience and the considerations of who you need to reach um, and how that affects your outreach plan. Uh, we're going to go through some best practices for meeting requests. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about when you should use incentives and what kind of incentives are effective. Um, we're also going to give you some tr tricks, tools, and, and walk you through our process for establishing a cadence of setting meetings and get, being successful and efficient um, in establishing those meetings with your audience. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, getting sales and marketing buy-in because that's essential to your success. Um, and then as Rebecca mentioned, there's going to be plenty of time at the back end of this to answer any questions that you might have. And we also have things we can follow up with uh, if you're interested in deeper uh, analysis of this topic. So let me start with the Nahito principle. And uh, anybody that has been through the pragmatic courses um, ought to be familiar with this slide. Uh, nothing important happens in the office. That principle is core to the foundation's course of pragmatic and really emphasizes the importance of getting out of your office. Um, you're not going to learn anything important about the problems in the market while sitting at your desk. Um, and the presumption of that is not only that you physically get out of the office, which is important in customer visits, but also that you spend a significant a time, amount of time virtually getting out of your office as well, whether that's on the phone, whether that's in a video conference. Um, those are all important pieces of the puzzle in getting market information and making you more successful at the job you do. So maybe just starting off with saying, why talk about setting meetings? Yes, it's important, and of course, you can't actually execute on the Nahito principle unless you get those meetings, but why does it merit its own webinar? You know, what's so critical about this particular topic? Well, if you noticed in the webinar promotion, there was actually a survey that was included along with that. And for those of you that actually 
submitted that survey. Thank you very much for your input. Um, but one of those questions that was in the survey was actually relating to the barriers that you experienced in implementing the pragmatic marketing framework and what, what impeded your success in that process. Um, there were nine potential answers, and the top three out of those nine were, first of all, you didn't have the buy-in from executives in your organization. I think that one is probably uh, not a surprise to many of you. Getting buy-in, getting support is always critical when you come back and are looking to implement that framework. The second most popular answer was a disagreement or misunderstanding about the roles and the ownership of framework activities. You know, understanding the, uh, the gap analysis and who's responsible for which pieces of the framework um, is often the very starting place of any implementation processes. Some of you might be surprised to know, though, that the third most popular answer was actually setting meetings with buyers and users is time-consuming and difficult. Um, in our practice with Compete to Win, we work with clients all the time, and one of the things that they keep coming back with us is that in order for them to be systematic about outreach, the actual process of setting meetings with their buyers or their users um, can be an impediment to actually achieving the quantity of meetings that they want to target in a given quarter. Um, and the bottom line is that if you don't get these meetings, your, the Nikito principle is going to be limited in its impact. So I'm going to talk a little bit about getting to those audiences and how can you be more effective. And one of the first places to start is just who is your audience? How do you choose the audience that's appropriate for you? So I'm going to lead with kind of another uh, graphic that ought to be familiar with alumni from Pragmatic Marketing, which is the categories of interview candidates. Um, and this is a very simple pie chart, breaking those out into customers, and those customers can be subdivided into your own customers or your competitors' customers. Evaluators, people who are actively in the sales process, in your sales pipeline, and taking a look at not only your solution but alternatives. And then a large group of potential customers, customers who may have the need, they may have even identified the need, but they're not actively in the sales process yet. So to understand which of these groups are most important to you, it, it's important to begin with your goals. What are your goals for the visit? Um, Win-loss analysis is something very frequently talked about uh, at Pragmatic and is extremely valuable in your own process for really understanding the market acceptance of your uh, product or service um, and where you can be effective. Within that win-loss analysis, you may be looking at how can you execute in the sales process better. You may be looking for competitive nuggets and tips and really understanding what are the alternatives that are causing you problems in this process. Pricing is very commonly uh, analyzed in win-loss analysis, as well as decision criteria. Uh, you may have more general buyer research where you're creating your buyer personas. You really want to understand um, the decision-making process of your ideal buyer, um, more directed competitive research that is not just specifically tied to win-loss analysis, um, as well as user research. You may be analyzing how your technology or your product or services is actually consumed and used by your users and where it can get better. Um, or it may even be something along the lines of client retention. Um, very often, market visits can be a surrogate as a, a formal customer advisory board. Um, you can actually execute customer advisory boards um, virtually through market visits um, where you're getting a specific problem addressed. Whatever those visit goals, it's important to articulate those and then match them with your ideal audience. And when, you're, when we're looking at the mistakes that people commonly make when choosing their audience, um, these are some of the most common. So with win-loss analysis, one of the most common mistakes we see is people consider themselves as having conducted win-loss analysis, when in reality, all they've done is simply interview the sales rep. Don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, certainly this is a common failure where they're getting one perspective from an internal employee and not getting the perspective of the buyers themselves. Another common mistake 
um, especially with win-loss analysis, is the heavy skewing of interviews towards wins and not losses. Why does this happen? Again, it's back to the premise of this conversation, which is getting interviews are hard. Getting interviews with people that just bought your technology is much, much easier and less intimidating than going back to the people who chose an alternative and asking them to share their insights. But what you'll find is that actually it's not so hard to get those meetings as long as you follow some kind of basic concepts and rules. So that, that's a typical mistake, is heavy skewing of interviews towards wins. A third mistake is a lack of systematic processes for setting meetings, um, as well as conducting interviews after deals close. But just in general, the lack of systematic processes becomes a real problem. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is how many uh, contacts it takes to actually execute on a meeting. Without a systematic process, you're going to have trouble being successful in your outreach to set market visits. Uh, meeting, another big problem is that for product professionals, um, putting your meeting setting logistics in the hands of your busiest team members is a real barrier to success. Product managers, product marketers are very often the belly button of activity in a business. They deal with sales, they deal with marketing, client services, the product team, development team. Um, they're, they're very frequently overtasked and understaffed. And yet, many times, the meeting setting logistics falls on their plate. And so it just doesn't get done effectively. And a final problem mistake that we see is that um, people outreach too late uh, for not only for losses, but in any interactions that they may have with customers. You need to keep in mind that you need to stay current and on top of mind, and the, you're going to have more success the closer you are to decision points on your deals as well as interactions in the market with uh, prospects. So I'm going to talk a little bit about loss analysis because one of the very first points we made on mistakes that people made is the exclusion of loss analysis or, you know, the overskewing of analysis towards wins instead of losses. And so we're going to just share a little example from World War II where they were doing loss analysis of uh, bomber planes that were being shot down um, in World War II and looking for opportunities to improve uh, the safety of those planes and the return rate of those planes to base. So this analysis was being done by the Army, and they employed the services of Abraham Wald. He was a Jewish scientist in World War II um, that, they had, that had actually immigrated from Germany uh, before the war started. Uh, the problem that was posed to him was where should we reinforce the armor on planes to strengthen them against attack? The initial data uh, was supplied from the returning planes, and the bullet holes that they saw were primarily around um, the tail gunner and the wings. And so they presumed that this is the place where the most damage was being done and that the proposed solution was to reinforce those areas with additional armor. Um, what Abraham Wald uh, proposed, conversely, was that analyzing surviving planes showed what happened when they survived, not ha what happened when they crashed. So instead of looking at that as a concentration of where planes were hit the most and reinforcing those areas, what you ought to be doing is reinforcing planes around the areas where returning planes didn't show a concentration of bullets. In those cases, it was around the engine and the cockpit. But this is just simply an illustration of the fact that when you're focusing on your wins, you're going to get one set of perspectives. That loss data is critical. And even with your wins, you need to look at that in the context of um, what was different about those wins in those areas when we lost. So let me talk a little bit about best practices for meeting requests. This is where a lot of people get hung up, um, especially as a product professional myself. I know I don't like bothering people because I don't like to be bothered. And so many people are reluctant to be persistent, to be systematic, and as a result, they aren't as successful as they should be. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually walk you through a look at the results that we've accumulated over the past year with Compete to Win of reaching out to over thousands of contacts um, in order to set meetings on behalf of our clients. And so what we've done here is that we've broken these out into six different categories of uh, 
meeting attendees. And I'm going to give you a look at where we, where we targeted meeting length and whether we used incentives or not. So from this first perspective, this is just to take a look at um, the types of meetings you want to set. So the first being and the most uh, easy meetings to set being a win within three months, um, happy customers, unhappy customers, setting meetings with losses, setting meetings with trade show visitors, um, follow up within three months, and then uh, setting meetings with purely cold contacts. So these second two columns are showing you the guidelines that we typically follow. They're not hard and fast rules, but they're thing, areas where we found success in terms of both meeting length as well as incentive use. Um, for your wins and for your happy customers, getting an hour-long meeting is not too hard. Most of the time, they are more than happy to spend time with you. No incentives are required. Um, you can get those meetings at a very high success rate. With unhappy customers, very often they're willing to spend an hour with you as well because they have invested in you. They want you to get better. Um, there may be incentives that are required, but typically it's not something you have to do right up front. As you start to approach these bottom three categories, your meeting links will decrease. For loss uh, interviews, we've targeted both a mix of meetings ranging from 60 minutes to 30 minutes. Um, based on uh, the success rate and how um, close it is to the loss. The closer it is to the loss, the more likely you are to be able to get an hour-long meeting. In these cases, incentives may be something that you use. Um, it's something that's discretionary. But again, the key point here is around the timeliness of reaching out to losses. For trade show visitors and cold contacts, you want to use shorter meetings and you'll almost always want to use some kind of incentive to get them to interact with you. From a meeting setting process perspective, I wanted to give some insights into uh, the systematic approach that we take when we reach out to set meetings. Um, we have a seven-step process. Again, you can kind of vary this up based on your own time uh, and experience, but to give you some views into the data I'm about to share with you, this is the process we use. There's a seven-step process with a combination of email outreach and phone outreach. We begin with two simple emails, follow up with two phone calls, an email, a phone call, and an email. We typically take about two business days between each of those steps. So if you're looking at this as about a two-week process, three weeks for a business, uh, business days uh, process. One of the key elements here, though, is the intro email, and that's where you'll see something that's just a little bit different, is that you want to reach out ideally with the person who owns the relationship for the contact you're reaching out to. Um, in win-loss analysis, that's most frequently your sales representative. For existing customers, that's your client services team or whoever's helping them on the most frequent basis. After that, you can hand that over to the process owner of the person that's going to be following up and actually establishing the, win, the, uh, the meeting for the market visit. So the first thing I wanted to share with you is just meeting success rate. So as you might expect, for wins uh, within three months, you're going to have the highest meeting success rate. And for, from our experience, three-fourths of the time, you're going to be able to easily get meetings with those customers. But for the other candidates uh, that are out there, you're going to be only setting meetings less than 50% of the time, even with the most advantageous targets. Happy customers, what we experienced was about a 45% meeting success rate, going all the way down to a 3% success rate with cold contact. That's very similar to just uh, prospecting for clients um, that you would have from an inside sales team. Um, so you ought to expect that it, whatever it is in terms of your targets, is that you're going to need substantially more targets than you're actually going to have for targeted meetings. From a perspective of the average outreach across all contacts, um, what we wanted to do was share in that process what was the average number of outreach per the total amounts of contracts that we reached, contacts that we reached out to. So as an example, if we were given 100 potential contacts, um, this is showing, on the whole, how many times we reached out across that target base 
um, per category. So as you can see, even with WINS, the average number of contact outreaches that we had was four and a half times. Um, so you need to be ready to set up uh, an automated process for emails and a, and a systematic process for reaching out on phone calls. As you go down this list, you can expect more contact outreach requirements, um, with cold contacts being the, the most, almost seven contacts uh, per your entire list. Um, now, of course, this is going to vary based on your relationship with your audience. Um, as an example, with pragmatic marketing, they've got an excellent relationship with their client base. You would expect much less, and we've seen much less outreach required for their good customers because of the relationship they have. Typically something on the order of like two and a half times that they would have to outreach, where on a typical outreach for a client, it may be closer to four to five. So you need to know your audience, you need to understand the relationships and set your expectations accordingly. The other thing to think about is, okay, well that's just how many times did I outreach across this entire target list? Well, how many times did it take me where I was successful. So what this column took a look at is when we were successful in getting a meeting, how many outreach uh, attempts did it take us to get that successful meeting? So as you can see here, even with successes, it takes between on average three to five outreach uh, attempts for the successful meetings that you have. Um, the one that looks like a little bit of an anomaly down there is the trade show visitors. Um, that was a smaller sample size than some of the ones that we had had previously, but we actually followed up on that one within the first month after the trade show. So we were very success successful in setting up those meetings with few attempts um, for the people that actually agreed to take a meeting. But as you can see here, even with successes, even with your wins, 3.25 attempts for each success is quite a bit. You can't just expect to send out one email um, and get your meetings set. So to give you an idea of how often you're successful on your very first outreach, 29%. So across the meetings that we set over the past year, for those meetings that were successful, only 29% of them were set on the very first outreach. 71% were set after multiple outreaches after that. So what does this mean to you? To you, what this means to be successful, you must be persistent. You need, for larger research projects, you should absolutely have a resource that's in charge of meeting setting. Taking this on yourself can be a formula for disaster if you don't have the time to be systematic and persistent. A lot of times a great resource for that is working in conjunction with your sales team uh, with your inside sales resources. If they can carve off some, some uh, abilities that they can have to help you set meetings, that can be very effective. Or you can work with research firms like Compete to Win um, that can also take that responsibility on. Um, win last meeting ought to be systematic. Um, you ought to have a process in place to make sure that you're closing for a meeting within three months after the deal closes and preferably much sooner. Um, you ought to have alerts set up anytime your CRM uh, sales prospects move to close, whether that's close one or close lost, that ought to trigger an event where you are uh, executing on outreach to that customer for win-loss analysis. The half-life is very short, especially with losses. If you're trying to reach out for losses after three months, your success rate is gonna be exceptionally low. Um, if you do it within a month, then you can do this in the context of that it's a part of your normal sales process. They've been, uh, you've invested a lot of time with them. Typically, you've built out some equity with them and hopefully you have a good relationship with them even if you haven't been successful in closing the deal. And they're very likely to give you that meeting. Don't be intimidated by the fact that it's a loss. So let's talk about ways that you can increase your success rate with incentives. When do you use them and what kind of incentives work the best? So let's start for when. Um, certainly with market research projects where you're having a larger quantity of uh, target uh, respondents, incentives can be great. 
Um, Any time that the relationship isn't as strong, um, incentives are essential in upping your response rate uh, with, the, with that audience. Um, projects where you need to reach a larger audience for conversation. Um, additionally, you don't have to start here. So you don't have to presume that um, incentives are what's required. You can use this as a second phase for outreach if your initial response rate isn't what you targeted. We've done this very frequently where we reach out initially without an incentive, we see what the response rate is, we see if we're achieving our goals. If it's not, then we'll follow up, we'll either shorten the meeting time or add incentives or both. Um, when time is of the essence, you can, uh, as a tool, you can use this as a tool to incent faster meeting scheduling. You can get results quicker if you add incentives to your outreach efforts. So what should they be? Again, it comes back to your audience. When you're thinking about C-level executives, your best incentives that you're gonna have at hand are research results and output. Most often, C-level executives are not financially swayed. They're certainly not gonna be incented by a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Their time is extremely valuable and they need to see that value in the time that they spend with you. So if you can have as a hook an insight into the research that you're doing, Sharing the results is a great incentive that you ought to consider when you're reaching out to higher level executives. As an alternative, you can also offer up charitable contributions in their names. And if you're gonna use financial incentives, they typically need to be in the hundreds of dollars, not in the tens of dollars. Um, there is a lot of research that's done on behalf of professional investment firms to get C-level feedback and those uh, those efforts typically range in the two to $400 incentive range per interview. For the directors and VP levels, again, best case is research results and output. Any time that you can help inform them is gonna be the best incentives you can give. Additionally, it builds thought leadership at the same time. Alternatives can be charitable contributions, gift cards, um, in those cases, with gift cards, what we typically recommend is Amazon. It's just an easy fulfillment process. And in those cases, $25 plus, you wanna kinda of stick with that Amazon. If you're less than $25, you can consider other alternatives like Starbucks, especially if you're in the $5 to $10 range, something that they can kind of equate with a deliverable that they might purchase from there, like a cup of coffee or a specialty drink. Um, for individual contributors, actually, Gift cards, incentives work better than research results and outputs. In those cases, you can just go straight to, to gift cards, uh, Starbucks uh, incentives, or other types of financial uh, motivation. So here's some considerations when you're using incentives. So first of all, you need to know your audience again. Um, some people can't take incentives, especially financial incentives like the government. In those cases, offer your research results make charitable contributions a go-to. Um, know your audience and a good, giveaways can often sound good, but they can be costly and are a logistical headache. We had a client that was using um, a leftover, wanted to use leftovers from a popular trade show giveaway. The fact that that was popular at the trade show and a real hit doesn't make it a great meeting incentive. It adds to the complexity of fulfillment and it certainly adds to the complexity of who you're setting the meetings with uh, because the same type of giveaway isn't always gonna be popular in the same way a gift card would be. So now I'm gonna move on to meeting setting tricks and tools and give you some ideas and insights into how to get these, uh, these meetings set. So for one of the first things is for uh, outreach guidelines on losses, make it clear this isn't a sales call. That's one of the first concerns that people are gonna have if you're reaching out post um, a sales engagement. And typically, you don't wanna have that loss outreach done by the sales executive, even though they own that relationship. Making it clear that you're the product owner um, or the product representative and that this isn't a sales call can diffuse any concerns that they have about you trying to come in after their decision and get back into the game. Um, that needs to be clear right up front. Um, for your email copy, you wanna make sure that you don't, look, don't use graphics. It shouldn't be uh, marketing oriented. Um, 
You ought to get the intro from an email from a person in your company with the best relationship to the contact um, and just have very short, clear content describing the purpose of the meeting and the incentives that you're using if you are using them. Um, we actually have examples of this email copy um, and we can provide this as a follow-up to this meeting. I'm going to give you the details on that uh, at the conclusion of this meeting. Um, you can also, you always should include an automated meeting setting link. Never, ever make um, one of your prospects call you. They won't do it. You need to allow them to self-serve. The meeting link should be in the email, and then they can go ahead, take a look at their own calendar, and find a time that works best for them and set it right there. So what are those tools? These are just some examples of meeting setting tools that are out there. Um, at Compete to Win, we use Calendly, um, but there's a lot of different options. There could be Google Calendar has capabilities. There's Boomerang Calendar, Assistant.io. Um, the most important consideration that you have is just make sure whatever you use integrates with your company email and calendaring system. That's the most important thing, but just don't forget to include those links for people to be able to choose and set their own meeting. Um, use your meetings to get meetings. This is something that uh, we recommend all the time to our clients, um, and it's really important is that it saves you time and effort. Um, at the conclusion of any meeting that you're executing, you ought to um, ask the individual that you're meeting with if there's somebody else you ought to talk to. And if you're doing this in buyer journey or buyer persona work, Ask about the specific people that represent those roles in the organization. You ought to ask the interviewee to make the email introduction if possible, and you ought to target key decision makers in that buying process. Um, or it might be key users and maintainers of your technologies, but the key here is don't waste that interaction that you have. Um, many times they can give you a contact that you didn't previously have that you weren't reaching out to. Um, and it can be a very effective way of getting meetings, especially if they're willing to do an email introduction, which they frequently are. And then you need to think about getting sales and marketing buy-in. So why is this important? Sometimes this is overlooked, but they own your primary lead sources. They're evalu your evaluators, your customers, your potentials, the contacts that have been interacting with them are typically on the sales side with your evaluators and your customers. And the potential side, that's your marketing database. You need to understand the objectives of those teams and any roadblocks or concerns that they may have. Um, so from an objectives perspective, you need to make it clear what you're going to be delivering to them that can help them. Understanding competitive challenges, under, digging into competitive win rates, being more effective in your messaging for leads and the cost per lead impact that that can have for your marketing team. Um, for account-based marketing, you're going to have clearer buyer personas. You're going to have a market, you're going to be able to use things like the concept of marketing qualified accounts versus marketing qualified leads. So understanding when an account has multiple buyer personas engaged in the process. It's important to have clear definitions around that. But the main point I want to make here is speak to the needs of your sales and marketing team. Share the outputs with them that are tailored to their priorities and address any concerns that they may have. Many times your sales team can be protective of those um, uh, contacts. They may be concerned that you're doing this simply as a, an evaluation of their performance. If you kind of highlight the targeted outputs, it can put them at ease as well as see where they can benefit from this process themselves. So now I just wanted to actually move into the question answer phase of this uh, webinar. I want to emphasize that if you needed any help um, or follow up on this webinar, that we're more than happy to send out uh, email outreach copy, sample email templates based on the audiences that you're trying to reach uh, for different phases of the outreach process. Um, we have a logistical spreadsheet that we can share that we use. Um, to track and make that more systematic in the outreach process, as well as sample reporting outputs. Um, so with that, I would love to uh, answer any questions that you might have. Um, and maybe I'll, at this point, I'll turn this back over to uh, Rebecca. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. We've got some good questions, and I encourage everybody else to send some in.
but let's let's uh, let's hop right in. Uh, first, can you share some specifics about the incentives you've used and which specific ones have worked the best? Yeah, so with the incentives that have worked the best, the two go-tos that we have are Amazon gift cards and um, Starbucks gift cards. So typically for the Amazon gift cards for um, uh, just individual contributors, we target $25 gift cards. And for the more senior people within the organization, we target somewhere between $50 gift cards uh, to $75 gift cards. And usually those are sufficient for getting the meeting. We have also used with some success uh, charitable contributions. The complexity there is that you don't have uh, a repeatable incentive. You actually have to, in the interview process itself, under ask them which charity they want to contribute to. Um, so the fulfillment of that incentive is more difficult. Uh, but for many of the people that don't want to take an incentive or can't take an incentive, that charitable contribution can work very well. Excellent. All right. In terms of marketplace visit goals, is there a continuum um, to expert that starts with a very targeted goal and then possibly includes multiple goals as you become more expert? Or do you always want one very targeted goal for a market visit? Uh, well, typically, your market visits are going to be focused on a particular project. Um, so it can be a systematic, long-term project, like win-loss analysis. And in those cases, your goal is to can evolve based on your sales results. So as an example, if you have a competitor that's becoming more problematic, you may want to uh, change the, the win-loss analysis goals to focus in on that particular competitor and gain intelligence on them. For other projects, though, let's just say buyer persona research, or it may be um, a more targeted competitive analysis project where you're bounding that within a period of time, let's say a quarter's period of time. In those cases, you're going to just have one goal, and you want to orient your questionnaire and outreach around that goal and the output that you're going to have. So uh, it's based on the fact, are you making this a systematic process, like win-loss analysis, where you want to execute this on a regular basis whenever deals close? In those cases, you can adjust the outreach. Um, for projects, they typically have just one goal. Awesome. All right, so one of the things we talked about and you talked about was the different rates for happy versus unhappy customers. How did you measure or define uh, happy versus unhappy? Yeah, with this case, this was an actual client that we worked with um, where they had had outputs from a customer satisfaction survey. And so what we did is that if you're familiar um, with net promoter score, you can get the promoters and you can understand um, the happy customers from those perspectives. And then we actually targeted specific, specific people within the organizations that had indicated that they were dissatisfied um, with uh, the product or service that they were coming from. So in those cases, you would typically align that with a customer satisfaction type of output like net promoter score or some other kind of uh, process like that. That could also be obtained from your client services group where they know that particular clients are at risk. So we have a couple of questions. That was a great answer. And we have a couple of questions around the timing of when you can do the interviews. And, and there's a couple of people that asked that um, mentioned that their sales team holds on to opportunities for a while, right? It takes them a while to admit that it's a closed loss. And so by the time they do, they're past the three-month mark. So the question is, do you have any uh, guidance for them to help encourage sales to close those losses sooner? And if not, where, you know, at what point is the diminishing returns? Is it too far away, or can we still get good value at the six- or nine-month mark? Uh, what I would say is that this is where the teamwork with your sales team needs to be tight, and you've got to establish a relationship that's not adversarial, but um, promotional for them, is that this is a learning experience and you need to make it very clear to them that you're, the thing that you're targeting here is improving your sales execution, understanding where you can give them better tools to execute in this process, and that it's not an attributional uh, uh, service. Now, if they're holding on for it too long and they don't want to, you know, admit that it's actually closed and gone dead, 
um, that can be something you discuss with them and, and, and uh, communicate to them around the effectiveness rates of getting earlier in the process. So what I would say is you're definitely going, if you're going past three months where your sales team has disengaged with a prospect, um, a potential, you know, an evaluator, you're going to be less effective. There's just no way around it. If you haven't communicated with them in the sales process past three months, it's going to be difficult to get those meetings. So I think that it's not meaning that it's impossible. Uh, so what I would do with your sales team is share your success rates in getting those meetings, emphasize to them that it's really important to get there early in the process, and then communicate the value that they get out of that, um, that, that it's in their best interest for you to get into that process early. Those, those are the things that I would recommend. Excellent. And then Sherry has a follow-up question on that, which is around when we're talking to these losses, what are your most valuable questions? If you could just pick your top three questions you like to ask losses, what would those be, Scott? Um, <laughs> off, off the top of my head, I mean, one of the things with win-loss analysis, one of the key things that you want to understand is their most important decision criteria. Um, that's the case with both wins and losses, but with losses, it's even more important. Um, for you and your company, you can very much start to breathe your own air. That's why Nikito is so critical. Um, but the things that you consider differentiators may just not be important to your customers. And with losses, that's almost always the case. So you need to know and understand what was the primary decision criteria that led for them to choose an alternative. That's probably question number one. Um, other areas that are really important to dig into are um, who else was involved in that process. So the buyer journey um, is often very revealing. Uh, a lot of times in your losses, somebody that was very influential was somebody that you didn't have a connection with at all. Understanding and uncovering those important influencers of the deal is another really important area to focus on. Um, and then, of course, just understanding um, the effectiveness of your sales process. This is where you can see if you have communication breakdowns, you can see if your demos are effective, um, what, are the, what are the effectiveness in that sales process, and you can actually get a lot of information from uh, the customers. They're very willing to share that, uh, most typically, um, about what worked and what didn't work. Great. So Iger asked a great question. Um, we have talked a lot about win-loss and talking to buyers about their process. But what do we do when we get feedback that it's the user who's struggling, right? Uh, in his example, it's a, a physician who bought a system that talks about the patient's struggle with it. What are your hints for getting access to the, to the user to hear their feedback? Yeah, I guess for the user, it depends on um, if the user is the same, uh, is in the same company that's buying the technology or not. It sounds like uh, in that example, it might be the people that are making the buying decision or not the people that are actually using that. Um, in those cases, you have to partner with the company to get access to their clients. Um, if that's a two-step process, then you need to work with them um, in order to get permission to, to reach their customers um, and to work out a simultaneous process. And again, you're going to need to get them to understand the value of that output, not only to you, but to them as well. Um, if the case that the user of the technology or your product um, is in the same company, um, then that's not as difficult. Typically, um, those relationships, once, it's, once the purchasing decision has been made, you will have some kind of relationship with the users within that organization, um, and they're a little bit easier to get to. I think that the, the difficult part comes when the user of the technology is different from the organization that has bought the technology. And in those cases, you need to partner, you need to share common goals, and you need to work together um, to reach those customers. Excellent. All right. Uh, do you recommend – I have lots of good questions to choose from here, Scott – but do you recommend a specific approach to visit potential buyers or competitors' customers in a very small and concentrated market? Right? It's not as much a numbers game in that place, and it's more likely to get out. Well, what would be your hints for a situation like that? Yeah, so is, is this where you have a very small targeted uh, outreach set? So you're, you're maybe like there's only 20 potential, is that is that? Yeah, that I think I'm that would sure. be a, a good translation, yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that 
you have to look at this meeting set, setting very similar to a sales process. You're selling um, <laughs> basically what the, what the audience is spending is their time. And what you're selling is some reason why there's value in that time they spend with you. And so the smaller the audience, the more persistent you need to be, the more you need to consider using um, incentives, and the more important relationships are in that process. So when you have a very small audience, it's really critical that you do initial outreach with somebody that has a relationship with those individuals. Um, and then you need to be persistent around the follow-up and you need to make it very clear how they benefit uh, in spending their time with you, which is really what their commodity is and, and what makes it so difficult to get meetings. So it's not that different from a regular process other than the fact that you can't count on the law, I mean, of uh, large numbers to help you. Um, so in those cases, you just need to be more precise. You need to work with somebody that has the relationships. You need to be very careful and thought out about your incentives, and you need to be systematic in your process. Excellent, excellent. All right, do you have um, recommendations? So one of the things about win-loss and the win-loss interviews that you and I have talked about before, Scott, is that you get some great quotes, right? You get some great context around what's really happening. But um, sometimes you can get lost in the quotes and, and Gordon asked, how do I turn all these one-offs into some, how do I use the analytics of that, right? How do I turn those off into something more measurable and actionable that I can, I can share as um, sort of guidance for where we go forward? No, that's a great question. So, you know, one of the very first things that you want to do is you ought to always have some objective questions that you ask in every win-loss analysis. And so those might be reason codes, like what was the primary reason uh, you chose the solution that you did, whether it was yours or whether it was an alternative. So getting in there some objective questions in the win-loss process can actually give you measurable data over time that not only you can track, but that you can target. Um, and then the other piece of the puzzle is tying the the output from those win-loss to objective uh, measures in your sales marketing funnel. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get better buyer persona data um, and buyer analysis, then you ought to be targeting something with the use of that data over time. Um, you ought to be targeting competitive win rates over time. Um, so in terms of that, looking at how that's effective, um, the specific data that you're looking for ought to be tied to a business goal. Um, one of the easiest examples of that is just a specific competitive win rate. If you have a number one competitor, if you know that a number one competitor within a deal, you ought to be targeting that aggressively. You ought to be tracking your competitive win rate with that uh, competitor engaged in a deal over time, and then quarter for quarter, you ought to be looking for improvement. So the things that I would say is that, first of all, you ought to always try to include a good mix of objective questions um, in every win-loss that you conduct so that you can measure those things over time and target improvements. And then the second thing is you want to you really go after business objectives that you can track and measure like a competitive win rate and hopefully feed the data that you're getting out of those win-loss analysis uh, to make your company more effective in the sales marketing execution process. That's great. And I think the one thing I would add, which is similar to a question we've got from Bradley, is that I think sometimes these interviews give us good things that we can validate through surveys as well, which allows us to expand even on the numbers, right? We get some good qualitative information in these win-loss that I can take the points that I think I'm hearing, validate that against a survey, which then also gives me some quantifiable uh, information to use. Yeah, that's a great point. So that you're never going to get the scale and scope from uh, in-person or on-the-phone win-loss analysis that you would from the volume of uh, uh, surveys uh, if you can conduct those. Yes, but yeah, I would also say that without the interviews, anything you ask feels very leading, right? Like here's, you're just testing out assumptions versus here's the trends that we're hearing and here's a way for us to validate them. So they really are a, a right. great one-two punch. Definitely. So we do have a few extra minutes um, and we've got a lot of questions around sort of the meat of the, the interview itself, right? Once you get it and you've got it booked, what are some of your top hints for making sure that that information that is, uh, that you get the best amount of information, that the time is the best, and that the information you get you share effectively? 
Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think that um, the key of this is that you ought to go into any of those meetings with clear goals and objectives, and you ought to vet your questions uh, internally with the people that will be consuming those data. And so this is where it started off of knowing what those goals are. Is this around competitive insights? Is it around refining your buyer journey or your buyer personas? Um, understanding what those goals are is going to make you more effective uh, in the questions that you ask. And, um, you know, you're going to execute in a much better way. You should never go into a win-loss analysis with just an open uh, tell-me-your-story type of approach. And I've seen that before, and it doesn't work as well. Is that, you know, let's just talk about what happened in the sales process, and if things come up, then they come up. You ought to be able to have some very clear goals of data that you want to get, especially if it's related to specific buyer persona or buyer journey information, competitive analysis, uh, or sales effectiveness. I think that that's, that's the key. Be purposeful in all of your interactions because the time that you're spending with them is extremely valuable. They're giving up an hour of their time, and you need to make the most of it and make sure that you're getting the data you, you want. Excellent, excellent. We've got a bunch of questions about templates and list of questions. Um, so I know there's two different avenues I want to talk about there. First, for all of the alumni of Pragmatic, I encourage you to go to the Alumni Resource Center. So if you're on pragmaticmarketing.com, in the upper right corner, you see a button called Alumni. If you go and log in there, if, you, if it's your first time, you register, we'll let you in. Super easy. Um, but then from in that very homepage of the Alumni Resource Center, you can actually click on any box of the framework, and it's going to bring you to the tools and templates that are related to that box. So if you click on market problems, you're going to find a call report template. You're going to find an interview matrix. Um, if you click on win-loss, you'll see some sample questions and a win-loss report template. So there's some, some of the core stuff that we've covered. And I know, Scott, you've got a lot of things that you were um, willing to share with this audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're more than willing to share the the email templates that we use for outreach um, based on the different phases of where you are in that process. Um, in addition to the 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 spreadsheet that we use to track the systematic process, and then some sample outputs from those uh, results of those win loss analysis as well. And so, and you know, we can also customize um, some samples of anything that is particularly interesting to anybody on the call as well. And having seen their tools and templates, I do definitely recommend downloading those. And I think the combination of two are hopefully the great hints that Scott has given us today are going to really help you guys jump started. Um, I've done Mojito since I took my very first training class in 2005, and the information is just invaluable. All right, Scott, is there anything you want to add before we close up for today? No, I just uh, encourage people to be confident and, and go do this. It's sometimes people get intimidated by the thought of reaching out to people they don't know. Uh, but, but on the vast majority of time, even people where they have chosen an alternative and they've lost, they're very willing to share their perspective. So don't, don't be shy is what I would recommend. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, Scott, for this great session. And thank you all, everybody, for joining us today. Don't forget to join us later this month, it's actually July 30th, when our very own Kirsten Butso, instructor extraordinaire, is going to dive into the four key steps to building successful product teams. All right, that does it for this edition of Pragmatic Live. Thank you for joining us, and having, have a great rest of the week.